My name is Tae Young. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that we open your word. Please help us open our hearts to listen to your word. And not only just listening, but also help us applying your word in our daily life. In your precious name, amen. Say, Scotland. Scotland. We are Presbyterian. <laughs> Say, Freedom! I need a Scottish accent and a kilt. And does anyone know where this movie quote comes from? Yeah, some of you probably have an instant vision of Mel Gibson with the blue paint on his face in the film Braveheart. I did. People shout the word freedom. Human beings love freedom. People long for freedom. They support and fight for freedom. They talk about freedom in almost every area, such as politics, social justice, economics, international relationships, and shopping. Have you heard about the expression, the freedom of gift? So you don't need to worry about what do you buy or something, just maybe gift card or cash or something. The meaning of freedom varies, but the modern idea of freedom is strongly related to autonomy or egocentricity. People might think of freedom as self-discovery, self-authentication, or self-expansion. As a 21st global, uh, 20th century global citizens, some people enjoy more freedom and in a great, in a great variety of ways than ever before in human history. Freedom is being allowed to be whatever we want to be. Freedom is being allowed. We have freedom to do whatever we want to do. At the same time, we have freedom to avoid doing whatever we don't want to do. We even have the freedom to not listen to whatever we don't want to listen to. If someone stops me from expressing my freedom, that's a heresy or cult. What is the freedom that Paul warns us not to misuse? Let's hear from him verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. There are only four words in the first sentence in its original language of Greek. Let me put them in order. The freedom, you, Christ, and set free. It can be roughly translated into, for freedom, Christ set you free. Paul is talking about the freedom that only the gospel brings. Freedom from our slavery to sin and the legalistic moral attitudes. The idea of Christian freedom is tied into the language of salvation. For Paul, freedom is the very heart of the gospel. Our freedom is the result of what Jesus has done for us. 
We were captive to sin and the law, but Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Paul has already highlighted this in the beginning of Galatians chapter 1, verse 4. Who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. And this brings us to the next thing Paul talks about. What do we do with this freedom? Freedom itself is not the end goal of salvation. What do we do when we are freed? Why was circumcision so problematic? For Jews, circumcision was the sign of the covenant, and it held special importance as a marker of Jewishness in the Greco-Roman first century world. At this time, new Gentile Christians in Galicia were being called to be circumcised and to follow the whole law. They were being told that circumcision was as important as baptism for the new believers like them. Circumcision was the entry point into a life of obedience to the entire law. But it was the gateway which belonged to the old covenant. To follow this teaching was to say Christ and the Spirit were insufficient for salvation. If they needed to keep the law, Jesus was no more than a teacher of law for them. That's not the gospel. That's why Paul is very sarcastic about circumcisions. He says, verse 12, As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Wow. Are you surprised by that suggestion? But also notice this. The circumcisers have cut in on the Galatians' spiritual race, tripping them up in verse 7. Now, Paul's remark is a strong wordplay concerning cut around, which is the literal meaning of the Greek word for circumcision, and cut off for the emasculation. So that's the picture that gets filled out in Paul's emotional outburst. So what does Paul say in response to these teachings? He says, verse 6, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. That's the point. This is the key to Paul's argument. Circumcision counts for nothing. Remember what we have learned in the last couple of weeks. Circumcision had been a significant symbol for the Jews, but its relevance had ended with the coming of the Messiah and his spirit. Paul is reminding them of the cross and wants them to focus on the cross instead of circumcision. Notice also the words faith and love. In Christ, we are marked by faith and love, not circumcision. 
Moreover, Paul encourages us to use use our freedom to serve one another in love. Paul says, verse 13, You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. Why are faith and love such important characteristics of the life of someone who has been freed? They are two key elements in the covenant relationship with God. Let me explain this a bit more. The covenant promise given through scripture can be highlighted like this. I will be your God. You are my people. You will be my people. In this promise, there are two things we need to keep in mind. Firstly, the covenantal relationship is based on faith, which is the belief that God is our God and there are no other gods. Secondly, it is also based on love, which plays a crucial role in the communal life of God's family. Both words, you and you, are not singular. They are plural. They are referring to the community of God's people. So community comes when we join others in the faith of God and in the love of others. In other words, to love one's neighbor fulfills one's covenantal responsibility towards other people. That is what God has in mind for his people. God knows how loving others will bless us as well as the community around us. That is what I want you to see in verse 14. The entire law is fulfilled not merely summed up in one place. Paul echoes Jesus in affirming that in loving one's neighbor, one fulfills the law. Interestingly, we find that the fulfillment of the law is not from circumcision, but from loving our neighbors. In the following verses, Paul is answering what freedom actually means for Paul. For Paul, the freedom provided by Christ is free from the flesh. He says, verse 16, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Freedom is not an excuse for self-indulgence, while the flesh, those are desires that are part of us because of our sinful nature. More importantly, for, for Paul, freedom is a communal reality. Have a look at verse 15. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, while you will be destroyed by each other. This is not a word of caution. It's a picture of unloving and community-destructive behavior. Paul is describing some community-damaging activities which result from the lack of faith and love. 
Sadly, this is the opposite of neighborly love. Love builds up. It doesn't tear down. Living as people who are freed in Christ, we are called to walk, avoiding the ditches of legalism on one side and lawlessness on the other side. So freed from sin's yoke, we are free to serve in showing Christ's love, not to do what we want to do. And in doing so, we humbly honor God for the precious freedom we have in Christ. When we serve one another in love, it can include a willingness to mentor a teenager, to teach Sunday school or SRE, to take someone to a medical appointment, or the fair trading market that is on this coming Wednesday night. Of the many ways, we are able, as we practice our freedom, we don't need to sign up to everything, but we can do whatever we are able to do with our Christian freedom in Christ. Our freedom leads to serving others gracefully. Let me give you an illustration of how this works in the life of our church here. I was very encouraged a few weeks ago when I got an email from someone in our church. The person had lots of accumulated holiday leave after working for many years and wanted to spend some of that leave serving in ESL. The person made the arrangements and now helps in ESL. This is a clear example how a Christian can use their freedom to serve in faith and love, isn't it? Maybe it will help us if we think about freedom in different way. We all probably know how precious our holidays or long service leave are. Many of us may already be starting to plan how we will use this freedom. But Christian freedom is different. Paul encourages us to understand that Christian freedom is maybe choosing to not do what we want to do. Christian freedom is not an opportunity for the expression of the flesh or expansion of ourselves. To be free is to love and serve others. It's not autonomy or egocentricity. The freedom sets out a Christ-centered lifestyle. So Paul sets up a contrast between the acts of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit for the Galatians in verses 19 through 24. Simply comparing the words acts and fruit can help us in our understanding of these verses. Acts are what we do when we gratify the desires of the flesh. Fruit is what the Spirit produces when we walk by the Spirit. God wants fresh fruit, not flesh fruit. When we abide in Christ, there can be fresh fruit 
graciously nurtured within us from an external source, the Spirit. The vice wrist is not simply an inventory of bad habits. They are covenant violations, which are actions contrary to faith and love. Let's take a few minutes to look at this passage. The the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. Let's have a look at the chart behind me. Have a look at the left column. There are two key elements, which are faith and love. As you can see, idolatry and witchcraft in the right column are actions contrary to faith. The rest, which is special stress on sexual immorality and factionalism, are actions contrary to love. Note, I divided the chart into two sections in the middle column which differentiate the personal and community levels. And if that's true, here's the tricky bit. There is a danger in doing so, such behavior because they demonstrate that a person doesn't have the spirit and is outside the covenant and so will not inherit God's kingdom. See verse 21. The contrast to the works of the flesh and is the fruit of the spirit. Paul chooses this picture of farming to describe the life of a believer because it helps us see the style of the Holy Spirit's work in our life. The Spirit's work in us It's a process of budding, blossoming, ripening, growing, maturing process like that of a fruit tree. Once we belong to Jesus by faith, the Spirit begins a lifelong process of spiritual growth within us. In the image of fruit bearing, Paul emphasizes the work of the Spirit, which is life in the Spirit. It means that we do not live in our own strengths, but in the strengths that God supplies by the Spirit. Bearing fruit is having life in the Spirit of God. We walk by the Spirit. We are led by the Spirit. We bear the fruit of the Spirit. There is one more thing. Remember, those two words I've been using, faith and love. Do you see them in the fruit? Have a look at verses 22 and 3. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Once again, the list reflects covenantal obligations. Note, love listed first in this context. 
we can see faith, which is listed as faithfulness there. The fruit is a clear echo of the new covenant as embodied in Christ and experienced by Paul. Life in the Spirit occurs not in isolation, but in community and in relationship. With the other seven virtues, you can see the opposite of the factionalism, which I mentioned earlier. This communal focus continues in chapter 6. Matt will be talking about it next Sunday as he concludes our preaching series, Pure Gospel, and also his time with us. So what does Paul say? He says, no law condemns such virtues. The acts of the flesh will not inherit God's kingdom, but this fruit enables a person to avoid the curse of the law and enter the kingdom. Let's go back to the fruit of the Spirit again for a moment. Paul's description of the fruit of the Spirit can be misunderstood. As you probably noticed, Paul mentions nine virtues here. Yet the word for fruit is singular. The Spirit imparts the fruit in its entirety. In other words, there is one fruit of Spirit, not fruits. They are all interconnected. None of them stand alone. The fruit of the Spirit is a package deal. It is what we are. They are beauties of good character, godly character, which develop in our lives through the Spirit's work in us. But sometimes I have found that believers pick or choose some virtues and avoid those which they find difficult. We should never focus on just some of the virtues at the expense of any others. We might find it easier to practice some virtues than others, but that doesn't mean we can choose a few as our favorites. We can't avoid a difficult virtue such as patience and try to excuse ourselves by saying, I'm not a very patient person by nature. If we are impatient by nature, this is precisely what the fruit of the Spirit is designed to transform. Let me ask one thing. Do you see the fruit of the Spirit in your life, in your marriage, and in your family? The fruit of the Spirit reflects God at work in the life of Christians apart from their own simple egocentricity. It reflects the selfless and outgoing love of God himself as well as an outgoing concern for others. Let me confess something. A couple of years ago, Hannah and I had an argument about how to approach Danny, my son's speech delay. It wasn't about his English, but his general ability in language development. We didn't blame each other, but had very different views about how to help him. 
And the argument was a bit hurtful to each of us. We want mature in our approach to dealing with this very unexpected thing. After that argument, I was sitting at my desk feeling very disappointed on me, not her. I didn't want to be the first one to act. But God's word reminded me of Hannah's place in my life. Then I tried to obey his word. I went to Hannah and apologized for my flesh fruit. It was only a small beginning of obedience to God's word. After that, I could see how the Holy Spirit had started to work in both Hannah's and my life. The break in our relationship was healed. It's by the ministry of the Holy Spirit that my simple acts are replaced with his holy fruit. Hannah and I still have different views, and Danny's issue is ongoing, but we are working together as we deal with issues we face. With this experience, I learned one very important lesson that the Holy Spirit starts to work when I try to obey God's word. Not perfectly, it's impossible, but as a small beginning. Since then, I can see how God works in my life more clearly. Let's wrap up. We live in a world in which the realm of freedom is expanding endlessly. It is politically democratized, economically relatively rich, and personal freedom continues to grow in social realms. But we have no confidence in the fact that we are free. Are you truly being freed? Is there a guarantee of true freedom? Being free is a relationship with God. Being free is the result of the death of Jesus Christ. Being free is life in the Spirit of God. Remember, we are set free to serve God, to follow Jesus, and to live in the Spirit. This is not our society wants, but it is exactly what the people freed by Christ want. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for delivering us from the power of sin and for ruling in our lives through the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the faith, the love, and the spirit we have in Christ. Help us to live by the real fruit of your spirit every day. In your precious name, amen.